Father, we come before you today giving thanks through this act of giving our tithes and our offerings that we come giving thanks as cheerful givers, Lord, grateful for all of the ways that you have cared for us and especially through the redemption and forgiveness of our sins. Lord, would you take and use these according to your will? Would you make them effective to accomplish all of your purposes? And would you bless both the gift and the giver today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, this is God's word. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, It will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would take it now and feed our hearts. Lord, instruct us. Help us to understand. But Lord, not just understand, not just be hearers, but may we be doers of the word. This can only come, Father, as you apply your word to our hearts through the work of the Spirit, and so we look to you to do that for us, which we cannot do for ourselves. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, the question mark after the sermon title is not a mistake. It's intentional that I had meant to put the question mark there, because that is the question that comes up when we read this passage. Really? Judge not? Ever? Don't we judge? Don't we do this? Aren't we supposed to sometimes do this? When do we not do it? We all understand and we make judgments every day in our lives. We judge what kind of car we're supposed to buy. We read reviews on restaurants to judge whether we should eat there or not. We make a judgment every time we pull out on US-1 to determine if it's safe or not. We all make judgments every day of our lives. And so the question is not about making any judgment, but centers about around judging people. That's what Jesus is getting at here. And yet, even as we understand that from reading it, We still have questions because we think of other passages of Scripture, including the verses that we haven't read yet but are soon coming in chapter 7. In chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. It's clear here there's some kind of judgment that Jesus calls us to. A judgment is required in order to take heed or beware of false prophets. Jesus said you will recognize them or judge them by their fruits. And so this isn't the only passage we could go to. There are many examples like this. And so I just want to say at the outset that what Jesus is speaking against here is condemning others. It's not all judging, but it's rather the judgment of condemnation. 
It is a censorious or critical attitude of judgment against another person. To use a word that's not a word, even though we've included it in our prayer, and I will use it today, judgmentalism. Spellcheck tells me that's not really a word, but I'm going to use it as such today. Judgmentalism is what Jesus is speaking against here. One of the ways we could distinguish between right judgment and wrong judgment might be a word like discernment. That can be helpful. Paul says in his first letter to the Thessalonians, test everything, hold fast to what is good. Discernment is good and necessary in the life of the believer that we may abstain from every form of evil, which is the very next thing that Paul says in that passage. Yet as we have seen over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is going after is our hearts. And our hearts are very tricky and we can easily be duped even by good things. Discernment can quickly spiral into condemnation if we do not guard our hearts. And condemnation is what Jesus is calling out here in this passage. So the goal for us today is to discern, to listen, to test and to see that we understand what Jesus is saying here, that we may not fall into an ungodly pattern of harsh criticism or hypocritical condemnation of others. And so looking now at verse 1, we see that Jesus says the very well-known verse, "'Judge not that you be not judged.'" I've often said this is the most well-known, most oft-quoted verse by unbelievers, and we do hear it often used, uh, maybe more than any other verse in Scripture. Unbelievers seem to know this one. They use it uh, often particularly against Christians or against the Bible. And the attitude that is being expressed there is actually pride. It's, it sounds like maybe a thinly-veiled humility, but it's actually pride, and it stems from the mindset, you can't tell me what to do. It is a pushback against authority, particularly moral authority or any sense of accountability. Yet this is the natural outworking of rebellion against God. It should not surprise us when unbelievers have this kind of attitude. And so the issue that's at hand in this passage is that of believers judging others, but primarily other believers, but I think this command extends beyond that as well. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He's talking to the household of faith. He uses the language brother and addressing brother in verses 3 and following. And so for the sake of understanding this for our own hearts, let us set aside the notion of what unbelievers do in rebuffing God's rightful authority. We'll get to that in verse 6. But before we get to verse 6, let's, let's focus on our own hearts. Jesus has addressed the issue of anxiety in the previous verses that we looked at last week. We could say a negative attitude toward our situation or toward our circumstances. And here he is addressing a negative attitude toward other people, what we might call a critical spirit. Again, Jesus is not prohibiting all judgment, but rather the attitude of judgmentalism. The idea that we would condemn others. And thankfully, he doesn't stop at just verse 1. He doesn't just say, judge not, or judge not lest you be judged, to quote the King James Version, which is my habit. Uh, He goes on. He goes on to explain. He goes on to help us to understand how to deal with our hearts. And yet, the initial warning is blunt, and I think necessarily so. We need to hear it as such. It is so easy for us to fall into a judgmental posture. We've heard the truth. We read the truth in God's word. 
The truth has set us free in salvation. And so we may, with the best of intentions, want to hold others to the truth. The problem, of course, is that we're sinners. We are blinded by our own sin. We don't truthfully see in any perfect sense. And what Jesus is warning us against, or warning for us here, the warning that he gives is that we be aware of our own sinfulness. We be aware that we have logs in our eyes. That we beware lest we become a hypocrite going around judging everyone else. That's why we see the exhortation in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Isn't that interesting that that exhortation follows, is followed by that? Keep watch on yourself. And, and, and what I hope we see this morning is what Jesus is saying here in this, 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 using this imagery of logs and splinters is keep watch on yourself. Examine yourself. Ephesians 4, we're called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is the point Jesus is making here in Matthew 7 through this imagery of splinters and logs. But before we get there, note first the reason that he gives. He says, judge not so that you will not be judged. And then he expands that, what he means by that in verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This conveys the notion that God will hold us to the standard that we use. And we see this in other passages. The same idea we saw in the previous chapter, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Or we might think of the beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And as we've said in both of those instances, it is not that our relationship with God is transactional. It is all of grace. We understand that. But this is a call not to be hypocritical. This is what Jesus is getting at that we would not have a double standard that guards our ways. Paul says it this way in Romans 2, For in passing judgment on another person, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. James says it this way, Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Do you hear the irony there? Do you catch that? When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. And the point in all of these verses is that in our condemnation of others, we condemn ourselves. All while subverting God's rightful position as judge. He alone is judge of all, and he will judge righteously. Instead, we are called to love one another following the command of Jesus, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I appreciate what John Stott says here. He says, the command not to judge is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. The command is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers which help distinguish us from animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. 
Jesus then gives us this helpful image to help us to understand both the intention, his intention of what he's trying to say, also to help us get it. He uses what one commentator calls a verbal cartoon, which I think is appropriate because it's very cartoonish to imagine what he is describing here, an image that is both funny and ironic. The idea of a speck in our eye or a piece of sawdust is quite normal. We've probably all experienced getting something in our eye. We can imagine it. We can experience, we've experienced that. But the idea of a log or a plank in our eye, that's as cartoonish as a camel going through the eye of a needle, right? It's the use of hyperbole uh, to make his point, to help us understand, to drive the point home. And the initial question, however, that Jesus poses in saying this, though, is, is actually an indictment. He asks the question, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? He is indicting us. Casting us, his hearers, believers, as hypocrites, the term he will use in verse 5. This is what he's going after. And normally the word hypocrites, when Jesus uses it, it's always used for the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the exception to the norm. He uses it here to us, his disciples. And of course, deep down, we know we're guilty. We know we've been hypocrites. We know we are hypocrites. We know that we have been blind in missing our sin. We call out people for not being holy, doing so in an unholy way. We criticize the behaviors of others with a haughty spirit and an arrogant attitude. We judge the spiritual growth of others by certain litmus tests that we think we've mastered. Even our resistance to such claims in a defensive posture of don't judge me has an implied judgment. We are guilty of seeing specks in others' eyes while looking through and past this colossal object of a log in our own eye. The point is not about measuring who is the greater sinner or who has committed the greater sins. We are not the judge of that. God alone is judge of all. It is about our tendency to see the wrong in others and not see it in ourselves. This is not a problem of the majority. It is a problem of everyone. And if you think that it's not your problem, then there may be a log in your eye that you need to see past. We all have this problem. We all cut ourselves slack while being so easily harsh toward others. That's why Jesus gives us the golden rule and says it's the fulfillment of the law. Because we know how to treat ourselves. Leon Morris writes, The meaning is not that in every case the person passing judgment is a worse sinner than the one who who he criticizes. It's rather that what he finds wrong in his brother is a very small matter compared with the sin God sees in him. The hyperbole effectively demolishes the position of the critic in a blaze of ridicule. Jesus is using a humorous method of bringing out the contrast between our excellence in picking up the faults of others and our myopia in discerning our own. This is what Jesus is doing. The picture that he paints, it captures our own hearts. And it goes further. He, he suggests that what we end up doing is becoming a spiritual eye doctor. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye? Verse 4, imagine somebody paddling up to you in a boat that's sinking to offer you help and bailing the water out of your boat that has a pinprick in it. I mean, it's, it's that kind of, of image that really maybe you should, you know, deal with your own stuff. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Just d- deal with your own stuff first. 
an attitude of self-righteousness that is rooted in pride when we come this way. I've determined that you need help, and I've determined that I'm the one who has the answers to help you. And what makes it sadly humorous is that the person offering help is a person in greater need of help. This is always true. It's always true. I'm always in greater need of help than you. And you can say the same yourself. That's the attitude. That's the rightful mindset that Jesus is getting at. I'm the greatest sinner that Paul calls himself. You know, we always wonder about that. I mean, what, Paul was kind of like, you know, he kind of rose up to the cream of the crop, didn't he? I mean, he wrote half the New Testament. Come on, chief of sinners. That's the rightful mindset that we're to have. We are not to get in the mindset of accounting, calculating the amounts of sin or the gravity of sin or however we tend to judge This is not a call not to discern. Again, as Stott says, it is a call to be gracious. It is a call to show grace, a call to be generous. There is a time to speak up. We're going to get there in Matthew 18. But let me say now, how we do it and the attitude with which we do it is what Jesus is going after here first. He's going after our hearts. And so the solution is not to ignore sin. It's not to never confront sin but rather to take stock of ourselves first. This is what Jesus is saying. Verse 5, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, the term hypocrite, normally reserved for the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus levels that at us here, his followers. And the way to approach another, he says, whether lovingly to confront them or gently to correct them, is to do so first with serious introspection. Look at yourself. We can call this introspection, self-awareness, self-examination. The idea is that we seek to work through through and past our own self-deception that is in our hearts. We see this in verses like 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself. 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves, Paul writes to them. Test yourselves, he says later. Galatians 6.3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Proverbs 14.8, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. And so rather than finding fault in others, as if that is our primary job, we must turn inwardly. We must examine ourselves. Conflict in our home? Is it always centered around us? Maybe we're the problem. If everywhere we go, relationships seem to shatter, then maybe we need to think through our own attitudes. If we continually defend ourselves against others, be it our spouse, another family member, a friend, a coworker, maybe we are the one who is inciting the problem. If we are constantly comparing ourselves to others to bolster our own self-righteousness, then maybe we are the foolish ones. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They are foolish. We must see the call by Jesus to take the log first out of your own eye. It is a call to put off the old self of malice, hatred, condemnation of others. 
It is a call to mortify the self-righteous tendency to find fault in everyone else, to be the gatekeeper, the discernment blogger. Instead, it is to hear and follow the pastoral words in Titus 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. That's the old life, Paul says. That's the life we're to put off. So it's when we have learned gentleness and how to be courteous to all people. When we have put off quarreling and speaking ill or evil of others, then, then maybe we can come alongside our brother or sister to help them remove a speck. And so some helpful tips for us to remember this are, one, it's always to be done with gentleness. Galatians 6, 1 says, We should assume the best about our spiritual family members instead of assuming the worst and know that it does not go against the whole idea of, uh, of our, our, our being sinful people. But within the, the family of God, we are to assume the best until we know the worst. Philippians 2, 3. We ought to avoid comparison. It's rarely healthy, 2 Corinthians ten twelve. And we need to continually be examining our own hearts to determine how we come across. If the fruit of discord is growing all around us, we need to ask where those plants came from. If the fruit of discord is growing all around us, we ought to wonder where the seeds for that fruit are coming from. In Philippians 4, we're given instruction to let our reasonableness or gentleness, depending on the translation, be evident to all. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be evident to all. It can also be translated considerate or moderate. And the idea is that we ought to be considerate or generous to others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we come to verse 6. And verse 6 is one of those that if we didn't preach through whole passages of the Bible, we might choose to skip because... What in the world does that mean? And especially in this context, it seems kind of disjointed if we don't really understand what Jesus is saying. Because if we take the, the command, judge not literally and absolutely, then when we come to verse 6, we have a real problem. Because it says there, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The first thing to say is that both of these terms are derogatory terms. In case you missed that, <laughs> Jesus is not handing out compliments. Dogs were not seen the way that they are in our eyes today. They were not cute and furry pets that stayed in your home. Uh, dogs were street dwellers. They scrounged for food. They often attacked people. They were not seen favorably. And, of course, pigs are not the cute cartoonish depictions of Charlotte's Web or a petting zoo these were unclean animals that writhed in the mud mixed with their own filth. So who would Jesus ascribe such terms to? He says that it is those who would trample and attack his disciples merely for the offering of that which is holy or what he calls pearls. Those who would attack his disciples. Now it seems clear that the thing for which they are being attacked here is the gospel. Certainly, we can call the gospel holy. We see Jesus use the terminology of pearl, a pearl of great price, to describe the gospel in another passage. 
And so the discernment that Jesus is, is, is encouraging us to enact here is that of those who would, against those who would persistently or even violently reject the gospel message. And he doesn't say be ugly to them, be unkind to them. He just says do not give, do not throw. And we ought to hear and understand the seriousness of this command, that by using such harsh terms we might see this isn't something to be enacted lightly. R.C. Sproul says, again, Jesus is not saying that we are to adopt a hard-hearted attitude to the unbeliever. He just wants us to be discerning in our proclamation of the gospel. We are to discern the mind while not judging harshly with the heart. That is what we're called to do, and it is a very weighty call indeed. So it's a sobering passage that we have here. There will be times, Jesus says, that we're to move on that we're to move on to other pastures or to other fields. He would later tell his disciples in Matthew 10, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Proverbs in chapter 9 says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. And so we need wisdom and grace to determine when it's time to move on, when it's time to shake the dust out of our sandals. And I think the proverbial statement, while uniquely applied to gospel proclamation too, is something we can, with wisdom, apply in our own lives, even in our own conversations. There are times where we may not be getting anywhere that we just need to take a break. There may be times where we just have to uh, agree to disagree for a time in order to avoid tearing one another apart. That's wisdom. Tearing one another apart, Jesus says, don't do that, okay? So if you think your fight for truth is right because you're, you're, you're fighting for truth, but you're tearing other believers apart, then you're not really listening to Jesus. That includes your spouse, your kids, your family members, those. And that's, that's where we have our biggest quarrels, isn't it? Don't tear each other apart. Sometimes we need a break for prayer. We need a, board, a time for the work of the Holy Spirit that he might help us first get the log out of our own eye. It's wise. In the end, the command, judge not, is not an absolute prohibition against all discernment and judging, but is instead a call to be introspective first. The call is to be introspective first, to examine ourselves not only in first priority, but also with the majority of our energy and our time. If our time and energy is given more to examining and criticizing other people, we're getting off base. The majority of our time needs to be start with our own selves, our heart. Chief center, I'm number one. I need the most help. So maybe in, in, in order to do this, we could ask others, those closest to us, how do I come across? What am I like? How do other people see me? Do I spend more time criticizing others than I do examining myself? Am I contentious or gentle? Do I come across more as harsh or as kind? See, such questions can invite helpful, Holy Spirit-informed and heartfelt change with repentance. Because after all, we must first get the log out of our own eye. And none of us wants to do this, none of us likes to do this, and this is not pleasant for anyone at any time. But it is rooted in the gospel. When we come to faith in Christ... We are confessing. We are admitting our own sinfulness. We are saying we have fallen short of God's glory 
and we repent of our rebellion. We place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and we are granted new life in him. And so we are to continue to walk in that pattern of faith, to continue that posture of admission and confession, of dealing with the log in our own eyes. None of us have arrived. None of us have have reached a level of maturity where we no longer need to remove logs out of our eyes. I can tell you with assurance, having talked to people who have walked with Jesus a lot longer, that this never does go away. There's no spiritual plateau in the life that we live This is an ongoing battle where we need to confess our sins to God and ask forgiveness from others when we sin against them. And none of us should ever fan the flames of a contentious heart through condemning attitudes, condemning speech, or condemning actions. Instead, as we look to Christ in faith, moment by moment, we ought to see the glory of our redemption in him the glory of his grace and his love that he has lavished upon us in saving us from the wretched and unholy things that we have thought, said, and done. Because of this glorious salvation, we ought to be merciful to others as he has shown mercy to us. Any graciousness or kindness we could ever show another person pales in comparison to the graciousness and kindness that Jesus has shown to us. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's pray. Father, we long for your peace to rule in our hearts. We long to love as you have loved us. We want to be gracious, Lord. But our tendency again and again and again is to to judge. We're experts at it. We're so much more interested in noticing what other people are doing and the wrong ways that they're doing it than we are in investigating our own hearts. We don't want to be aware of ourselves. We, we don't want to be convicted of our sin. We'd rather walk in deception, Lord. We confess that. But because of our great salvation and because of the cost of the blood of Jesus... We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and cause us to see the logs. Lord, do the work that we cannot do and remove those. And then peel back the layers and help us to see the next one and the next one and the next one. Lord, may we be conscientious of our own self-deception. May we be aware of how we come across so that we can then not be hypocritical, but be generous toward others. Would you make us a generous people, gracious to others in what we think of them and how we speak to them and how we speak of them and how we act, Lord. We are debtors to your mercy alone. And we plead and we plead, Lord, would you do this work in our hearts for your glory and for your namesake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Let's stand and sing our hymn.